0: Have you ever thought it was weird that Joseph totally deceives his brothers two or three times in the Bible and then all of a sudden changes his mind and invites his whole family to live with him in the land of Egypt? Well, in this episode, we're going to be discussing exactly that. And though it's a story you've heard over and over again, I promise you, there's a lot of strange and weird and really cool stuff going on behind the text. So welcome to another episode of My Strange Bible. Steve Schramm here, my brother Alex. What's up, man?
1: Hey, Steve. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this episode. I'm always excited to dig into a little bit of uh, family deception. It always makes for a good Thanksgiving. It always makes for a good Bible story.
0: It's always great, right? It's like politics, family deception, you know, lies, and it's good. You know, it's uh, they're all there. mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely one of those things where uh, this is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. I know Mm. we're we're kind of like taking a second for some preliminary here, but um, this is why I wanted to do this podcast because this is a story we've all heard it so many times. There's probably people listening right now thinking there's no way that there's like something new to learn here or like whatever, but there is. And just the question of, of of looking at it and saying, Oh, it's, you know, it's actually kind of weird how Joseph treated his brothers in this scenario. It's actually a little weird. And just stopping long enough to notice that invites a study of what's actually going on in the text and so much of what's happening. And it's like, there's actually some really cool stuff here. So I'm excited to dive into this
1: yeah just asking that one question um i was just talking to steve beforehand i mean how many times have we read through this joseph story and yet when i went to this to just do some studying up for this episode just the simple question of okay why is joseph deceiving his brothers just brought to light so much stuff in the story and yeah um it really excited to to get into it absolutely
0: so um I think maybe first of all, just to to kind of familiarize ourselves, just in case, we should probably talk about what's happening in this story
1: a little bit, right? Yeah, that, that's a good idea.
0: Okay. So the, the long and short of it is, of course, we know, we all know the story of how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Essentially, Joseph dreams some dreams that sort of suggest that he's going to be ruling over his family one day, and his brothers really don't like that. They really don't like that his father treats him so specially. And part of the reason why, or most of the reason why, his father treats him so specially is because he is one of two sons from the love of his life, Rachel. We know from earlier in the biblical account that he really doesn't love Leah. Um, He really loves Rachel. He's wanted Rachel from the very beginning. And so in a very real sense, Jacob thinks of um uh, Joseph and Benjamin, Joseph's brother, as his as real family, right? As his, as his real sons. And, of course, he accepts his others as well, but, like, those are the ones that he really has a special place in his heart for. And so uh, we know the story. He gets thrown into, a, you know, that, that pit, and then they get him out, and they sell him to um, the slave traders going to Egypt um, instead of uh, killing him. But then they tell his father that they found his coat, and it's been destroyed. And so then time passes and Joseph rises the ranks to become basically vice pharaoh, right? Second in command of Egypt. All the while his brothers are, um, you know, just going about their business with their family and Jacob uh, mourning his loss. And then we have the sort of things the story kicks into high gear when a famine happens in the land and Jacob's family is forced to go to Egypt to buy grain and, and then starts a series of events where as the brothers are coming to the land of Egypt, they, they find, uh, this vice Pharaoh there. And, uh, Joseph figures out that these are his brothers, but they don't know who he is. Mm. And so, um, Joseph sends them on basically a total like i almost want to call it a a wild goose chase or here in the south uh in america we call this a snipe hunt right chasing after snipes (laughs) which uh is a bird that doesn't exist right it's a snipe hunt um and uh, three different visits to egypt uh, are actually made as a result of this whole uh conundrum and jacob accuses his his brothers of of deceiving him of stealing from them and just all kinds of crazy stuff. So that's kind of where we're at in the story. Did I miss any important details there?
1: No, I think that just about sums it up. I wish we had time to go into some good snipe stories because being from the north, I never heard about that until I myself was deceived. Deceived Ooh. with a, uh, Yes. So uh you're from Same the here. south, yeah yeah i think every actually, northerner needs to be deceived by a southerner at some point when it comes to that yeah uh, it's anyway, <clears> a <throat> win off track but you, you what's <laughs> funny is uh that you brought up is um how much deception there actually was in the whole family history uh, going back to uh, to Jacob being uh, being deceived, um with who he was. Well his name literally
0: means supplanter, which is right. deceiver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And, and then um and then you obviously have the deception of the sons through all these years with their father that Joseph was killed when he wasn't. Um so deception is kind of in the uh, the the family tree, if you will. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and not just deception, but also conflict. There's a lot mm-hmm. of conflict that ultimately ends up finding its resolution at the end of this story, especially with with Judah.
1: So, Yeah, no, um, good coverage, Steve. Um, so what is the <laughs> – there's so many different angles that you could take to this on. What's kind of your first thought that you had reading through this that kind of came to mind as far as – I guess kind of getting to the initial question of did Joseph actually like seriously deceive his brothers or what did he kind of, is there some wiggle room to look around that? I don't know. What's kind of, what was kind of mm. your first insight into looking into it?
0: Yeah. Well, I think my, the first like surface level thing mm. for me was, um, was the idea of testing, right? The, yep. the general idea that there was <laughs> a, that, that Joseph was for some reason, Testing his brothers, and uh, scholars seem to be really divided on this. As to like, it's pretty clear that there's tests happening. Mm -hmm. One resource that I read went deep into the notion of testing throughout the Old Testament, which is which is great. There's actually a few different angles you could go with there. There seems to be a a, a, for the for the sake of differentiating between them, I'm going to call it a, a divine test theme that runs throughout scripture but then there are other tests in scripture as well so in the divine test um thematic line of thinking you know you have uh, abraham uh sacrificing isaac mm-hmm. right uh he was tested there uh, of course abraham passed that test uh fortunately um but then uh, there was a bunch of tests before that that abraham had actually sort of uh failed uh, another test that you have is um, you know, Moses against Pharaoh. You have a test of uh, Jesus and Satan. Um, obviously there's a the test in the Garden of Eden, right? I, all the way back at the beginning, there's the first test, right? Where uh, Eve uh, sins and then Adam <coughs> follows suit. And of course all, all the responsibility falls on him. And then sort of the final test in that story is uh, Jesus on, on the cross prevailing over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so uh, ultimately, Jesus passes the test that everybody else failed, right? And so there's that. But then there's this other sort of layer of testing in general that's very common throughout the Old Testament. Some other very obvious examples are Gideon and the fleece. Right where he's mm. communing with God, and he's not sure. Yes. But if it's God talking, if He can take him seriously, <clears throat> so he puts out a fleece and says, "You know, keep the fleece dry and wet everything around the fleece." And then, just for good measure, he says, "Okay, well, the next day, now <laughs> um, do the opposite." Right. And so there's that. There's the story uh, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal uh, putting Yahweh to the test against the prophets of uh, Baal, um, and just to prove who the who the who the one true God really is, who can actually light the altar on fire. Mm. Um and uh, there's a handful of others uh a, a, as well there's a oh, there's anytime you see the ephod use uh, used it's kind of like a yes. divining um you know device and sometimes there's an actual testing element there as well. So so I in that sense I wasn't surprised to see, okay, well he, yeah, this is sort of another one of those testing motifs going on uh in the Old Testament where where a a a person or a group of people are being asked to sort of prove, themselves as mm. worthy, uh, in order to sort of move into the next, uh, phase. And of course, in this case, you know, it's tempting to think of this as sort of an isolated incident, but there's actually a story here. There's context here because if it wasn't for Judah passing the test, which I know mm. I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but if it wasn't for Judah specifically passing the test that Joseph presented to the brothers, the, uh, his brothers would never have moved. To Egypt, and then there would have never been an Exodus, and okay. then like we we know that like literally the whole rest of the biblical storyline is about the Exodus, really, in, in mm-hmm. a certain sense. And so, think of how much was riding on this <clears throat> series of tests that Joseph put him through. And so, the, the the concept of testing in general is really the first surface layer thing that stood out to me. That actually has a few layers that it goes down once you start diving into it.
1: Yeah, the first thing that stood out to me is thinking as well of all the other testing stories that we read through Scripture. Te- testing is definitely a huge theme in the Bible, which you and I have discussed before. The, the Bible is all about themes and thematic elements. Oh, um, yeah. And one thing, and I don't know if this holds any weight, but just one of the things that I kind of um, thought about is that it it seems that um, testing in-, in this sense um, and all the examples that you discuss seems um, appropriate, I guess you could say. Um, I guess you could use that language when in a position of authority and with the right intentions. So I, I would say a bad example of testing is, I would say, more temptation is when, um, is when the Satan tent tested Jesus in the wilderness and yeah. you know that was kind of a, a wrong way to obviously test someone and i would say even tempt someone but mm-hmm. when you have Joseph here who's not only is he in a position of leadership um and obviously has discernment on how he wants to test them but the end objective of why he wants to test them to test his brothers heart um to see their ways um the end goal is not for him to scold them or punish them or get revenge on them but to literally test them essentially to find their ways and to discover how they are. Um, So that's kind of my first thought that came to mind when thinking about the whole testing aspect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and to be clear, there does seem to be some difference of opinion around how that shakes out. Like there are Mm -hmm. definitely some who believe that, yeah, this was totally benign. I mean, this was not, and I think there's good evidence for this in the text that, that, you know, this was not Joseph trying to get revenge. This was not a act of vengeance at all. What's really interesting is that there is a, um, another kind of theme that runs through here other than testing is guilt. And, Mm -hmm. um, the, what the guilt theme shows, there's various times where the brothers seem to, because, uh, basically they don't know that Joseph knows what he knows. Right. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so, and so, there are two or three times in the text where they admit wrongdoing. For example, when the chalice is discovered mm-hmm. in Benjamin's sack, and they're taken back, um, they know that they didn't actually do this. They actually know they're innocent, but yet they ask forgiveness anyway and sort of accept. Blame, and so many scholars think that that they're not accepting blame for the chalice because they didn't take the chalice and they knew they didn't take the chalice. They're not just dealing with it, right? But but they are weighed down by the guilt of what actually happened to Joseph. So they there's and again there's two or three times in the text where this happens where their guilt uh, seems to be on full display. Um, And like the first, uh, I think it was the second time when they were being sent back. And they discovered the silver in their sacks that had been returned to them. So basically, um, Joseph sends them back and says, you know, they keep he keeps Simeon in the jail, mm-hmm. sends them back. And, and he says, um, you know, go f- take your family, the grain, and then come back and bring your brother Benjamin with you. Mm-hmm. Or bring your other brother with you, your younger brother. And they get... On down the road, they discovered that the silver that they used to buy the grain had been returned in their sack um, to them, and they were upset. They were afraid, and they basically said, why Why has God done this to us, mm-hmm. basically? Yeah. Why did God do this to us? And so there's all these indications in the text that they are actually living with guilt. And, and so there is a question among scholars and among me, frankly, you know, uh, did, did Joseph do what he did knowing that he would be able to get some kind of vengeance for it. Was he being vengeful in his attitude and in in the way that he was treating them, um, Mm. out of spite or was he just testing them in a sort of benign way? Like you were, you were saying, um, in order to prove some kind of point. Um, and then God was handling the vengeance on his end. So for, for me, I actually kind of land somewhere in the middle on this because here's the thing. It's not as though Joseph was um, omniscient. Like we tend to think of these characters in the story as though they know more than they actually do. Now, when Joseph forgave his brothers, he did apparently have the foresight or at least the, the trust in God to be able to say, look, you didn't. You didn't sell me into slavery. You didn't send me to Egypt. Basically, God did, but mm-hmm. He did it to save people, right? Like He, mm-hmm. like He. This was all provident. It all worked out. Um, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Well, that much is true. But it's other than the promises of Abraham, whatever that was, which is you know somewhat vague in a sense. I don't know that Joseph would have had the foresight to be testing them for the purpose of like, oh, if this doesn't work out. Um, I like the, the, like the children of Israel, like our people are not going to survive. or are not going to continue. Like, I don't really know that he was necessarily thinking that, but it would be a very human thing for not even, maybe not even in a terribly vengeful way, but it would be a very human thing. I think for him to like, to literally put his brothers to the test with the, with the thinking of like, let's see if they've really changed. Like, let's see how they react When I, when I accuse their younger brother, like, let's see what happens when I give the younger brother at the table, when when I invite them all to eat, I'm going to give their youngest brother five times the portion, which in Mm -hmm. Egyptian thinking, the number five was like a huge thing. And like special honored guests would get more food than other people. Right. So. I'm going to give the younger brother five times the amount of food mm-hmm. as the rest of them and see how they respond and how they react to that and if they if, if their jealousy pops up again. So there's all these little yeah. like mini tests even inside of the big test. Yes. And I, I'm not going to rid, I am not going to deny Joseph his humanity here, right? I think there's mm-hmm. a very human element to what was going on in his in his mind of thinking like, yeah, I wonder if they're really worthy of my grace. You know or should i you know like i have some authority here so how am i going to handle this so i think it's somewhere in the middle i don't think he was being totally vengeful at the same time i don't think he was like omniscient and like you know just kind of playing with his brothers and letting god handle the details in the back end i think he had some sway and he was using it
1: the uh, one really important aspect like what you said is it, yeah you see that the plan unfold and as we read it and as how things happen it makes it seem like Joseph is just a mastermind, knowing that how all these things would come out, where, in fact, he really didn't. The brothers could have returned home with all the silver, with all the grain, gone home and lied to their father again and said, yeah, like Simeon, he he died or, or, or whatever. He yeah. left or whatever. Um, and then that and then the whole rest of the chapters would have changed, of course. So this story could have gone a long ways. And so you're absolutely right. There's the human element as well, where Joseph um, didn't know what was going to happen and so probably he had a general setup of how he wanted to test things. And then he just kind of played the rest by kind of by ear, you know, and as yeah. opportunities arose, he he took them.
0: Yeah. So let me say a couple things on that. So first of all, with Simeon, I thought this was so interesting. Joseph uh, Jacob really drug his feet before sending his <laughs> <laughs> kids yes. back.
1: Yeah, like he did.
0: Like part of me thinks that he was going to legit leave Simeon. Like he really thought that Simeon was a goner. Mm-hmm. And he only sent them back when they fully ran out of the grain yep. that they had been given. I'm sitting here thinking, like, if I'm Simeon in that jail, I'm thinking, what the heck?
1: Well, and it doesn't give yeah. us a time frame of whether this was, I assume it was more than a couple of weeks. It could have been a couple of months. It, I, I don't know the time frame, but it was more than like a day or two to run out of Correct. all the grain. To the, you know, and well, especially the, travel the, the, time, the traveling yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. Um. So who knows how long Simeon was. So, yeah, we have the absolute you know, facts of the situation, but there's just a lot of specific details that are left out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, another, uh, th- this will kind of conclude my, my thoughts on like the, some of the different themes that are in mm-hmm. here. But, um, so one of them we talked about testing, uh, we talked about guilt. Um, another one is, uh, compassion, right? So compassion, there's actually a, a, a theme that kind of runs through here and it sort of culminates, um, of course, in the final act, but one of the things I thought was interesting, Walter Bruggeman commented on this, and I'm going to read this to you, um, but he commented on this, um, on the greeting of Benjamin, okay, uh, from mm-hmm. Joseph, and so he calls this the welcome of Joseph, uh, so he says, um, it, which is, it says, it's God be gracious, which is the Hebrew word hanan, uh, hanan, God be gracious to you, my son, okay, and this is in... Um, um, Genesis 43, 29, quote, these lines are not taken at random. The father wishes God's mercy, Rahamim. The brother wishes that God would be gracious, Hanan. The two, um, the two lines together frame the movement of Benjamin from one generation to the next. I love this. It's worth noting that the two blessings together, Raham and Hanan, compromise or excuse me comprise a fundamental formula as israel speaks of yahweh and his purposes and he lists out a bunch of verses um exodus 34 6 nehemiah nine seventeen and 31 uh psalm 86 15 uh, 103 8, 111 4 um um one one excuse me 124 145 8 joel two thirteen. and And Jonah 4, 2. Together, these two speeches bestow upon Benjamin the most profound blessing Israel has has in its power to give. Together, they anticipate for Benjamin a new history. End quote. And so it's, again, like, you would just never know that, but it's a simple greeting. God be gracious to you, my son, right? You're Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, okay, well, that's just kind of a nice thing to say. It's not just that. It's all in those verses that you have. There is this... um, uh, it talks about a, the gracious and merciful and compassionate God, basically how he's Mm -hmm. been merciful and compassionate to Israel. And this is a a literal like mini instance of that mercy and compassion being shown where the people of Israel are allowed to be extended. So this is God even working in those little details. And apparently with some of these words too, there's a tie in um, to the word hesed in Hebrew, which basically means faithful love. It's a, it's a special word that is used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to God's covenant love relationship with Israel. It's the only time that word is used, um, as far as I'm aware, Um, the word hesed. And so it's just kind of cool to see some of these themes working together in subtleties in the story, that it's like, these things are here for a reason. They're intentionally Mm -hmm. designed, they're in the text, and you wouldn't know to go looking for them if there wasn't something a little strange to point you in that direction
1: something a little strange and someone a little bit smarter than us to point it out to us right yeah
0: yeah one (laughs) hundred percent one thing that just sorry
1: i was just saying one thing that came to mind another kind of little rabbit trail but something that would seem strange i think to i and i don't know the setup here this is just me kind of thinking about If um, I assume Joseph had some type of personal guard or at least people who are around him, you know, consistently, it doesn't really say who knew of Joseph accusing his brothers of being spies, you know, to kind of kick this thing off. But imagine being uh, someone in Joseph's court or presence and he accuses these people of bringing spies and he brings it back. And then the next minute you see him send 11 out of 12 of them back home with a bunch of grain. (laughs) and maybe silver to boot if they knew about it. I think if you were an onlooker and just someone who kind of was present during all this, you'd be kind of scratching your head wondering what the heck is going on here. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, well, so I think there's a clue in the text that Joseph clued in some of his people, at least some of them. Okay. And I'll tell you what that is. So um, the third time Mm -hmm. when they come back. I want to say it's the third time. Yeah, it is. It's the third time when they come back. So basically the, the Joseph tells the steward to put the chalice, right. To put the cup Mm -hmm. in his, um, um, yeah, in, in Benjamin's sack. Right. And so then the steward goes after them and says, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, we're kind of missing this important divination device here. And, you know, it's like, Oh, and he cuts open the sacks and, and boom, right. There it is. And so they literally like they tear their clothes, all the brothers
1: are like ah, <laughs> I love I that can't part. No, this. no. Like, like,
0: like and there's a there's actually an interesting um um sort of quote that I want to read about that here in a minute as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so right, so you have this scenario that where they're going back and, and so the steward kind of brings them brings them back and the brothers are freaking out, especially like Judah. Judah is like totally freaking out. And basically the steward says, Calm down. It's okay, mm-hmm. like, like um, um, I forget the I forget the exact words he used. I I kind of want to find that, um, but he he basically says like God's got this, this sort of thing, right? Like, so it's sort of, yes. it, it, and that and, and honestly, that would have been weird, right? If you are the brothers, like, why would the Egyptian steward be telling you like? Like you're in trouble, but you're not in trouble. Like it's it's gonna be okay. Um, and I, again, I can't remember if that was the second time or the third time. I think it is the third time though. With with the cup, I'll have to look that up again. Uh, forgive me for that. But um, but yeah, I think there's some clues in the story that some of his people sort of knew what was going on. But then mm-hmm. during the reveal in chapter forty five, it says that everyone he's actually sends everybody out. So all of his mm-hmm. attendants yes. and stewards and everybody gets sent out, and Joseph actually does the reveal, contrary to the Prince of Egypt movie, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he actually does the reveal only with his brothers, not mm-hmm. in front of anybody else. And so I don't know. There's it's kind of two sides of it. I don't know.
1: Interesting. I, so I guess I shouldn't rely on the Prince of Egypt to uh, be an accurate depiction. You enough.
0: certainly should not. <laughs> it turns out, yeah. No, okay. you. Ser- good story. Good movie, but yeah, yes. obviously some of the details are a little <laughs> raw.
1: A bit, a bit cartoonish.
0: Yeah, a bit, a bit cartoonish, yes. So um, uh, let's talk about so, – so one of the most interesting things about this is the fact that um, really Joseph played mind games with mm. them the whole yeah. time. Uh, this whole thing was like a cleverly devised – like it's almost hard to tell if it was all intentional or if it was really – by the seat of his pants, because you kind of you kind of have like a story, like a perfect story here, right? The brothers come the first time, right? Mm-hmm. He imprisons the uh, Simeon, sends them back. They come the second time, uh, well, and of course the 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 um um the silver is found in their sacks. Mm-hmm. Like he sends them back with the silver, which is kind of weird. That itself is a mind game. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so let's just even stop there, right? So he sends the brothers back. First of all, he keeps them there for three days. He imprisons them for three days. His first suggestion is to just send one of them back yep. to bring the other brother, and that, that doesn't fly. So then they make a deal where he's going to keep Simeon. He sends the others back and says, hey, you better come back with Benjamin next time, right? And so, But he, he plays a mind game because he's sending them back, but he's got one of them in prison, and then they, they find the silver— in the sack and God, you know, and, and they're upset. They're like, why did God do this to us? Like, mm-hmm. like, and he even goes back to the, to the dad, you know, they go, they return back to Egypt or excuse me, they return back to, to the land of Canaan with Jacob and Jacob's like, Oh great. So like, you got another one of my sons killed. Like, Poor what's Jacob. Going on? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Right. So all these mind games, but then you, you kind of have like this, this story element kind of thing going on where like, you have these, these, these three different visits the first visit um where they went in the first place the second visit where the silver um um where uh um where uh, benjamin is brought back and then when they're getting ready to leave um you have the third visit because they come back where the cup thing happens right and so you have this it's like grades right like it gets worse every time and all throughout that like he is really he's really messing with them. Like so mm-hmm. on on the the first time that they're there, he's really mean. To, yeah, he is like he's legit mean, yep. right? Like super mean. Um pretty clear. But then the second time, oh it's no big deal, right? And they like invite like they invite him, uh they invite the brothers to a banquet. Yep. Right. He like literally invites them to a banquet after they return with the gift of like because they brought back double the silver the next time.
1: Right. <laughs> right.
0: So, uh, and and finally the brother because Jacob relented. Right. So like now they're now they're eating with the guy, but he sets them up at the table, lines them up according to their age, and mm-hmm. there's themes in the text of divination which is if you don't know what that word means, it basically just means like special contact with the gods or whatever to like magical powers essentially. Okay. Right. Is what it's talking about. And so he's totally like, just think about it. He's like totally screwing with their heads. Like how does he know what order to set us
1: (laughs) at the table?
0: Right. (laughs) What in the heck is going on and why out of all the families that have come to purchase land or come to purchase grain from Egypt, why are we getting this treatment? And why is he being so nice? Even though, like, the silver was in our bags, like whatever. Oh, and that's what uh, I think it was actually the the um, the silver in the bags that the steward. So it was on the second trip that the steward um, interaction was because I remember now what he said. He basically said, "Don't worry about it. Your God must have given you the silver,
1: right?" Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. so anyway, so it's just all this weird and, stuff. Well,
1: the fact that too, and. I- Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's really no link. He never um, absolves them of being spies. Like, it's never brought up again. He gives them being spies, brings them back, sends them back to get his brother. And then it's just like never brought up again. Like, how does, like, what does the brother have to do with them being spies anyway? you right. know so well, just that's another the, mind well, that's game the tech.
0: justification that's what he uses so he uses the justification he's like no you guys are spies and the only way you're going to prove to me that you're not spies is if you go back and get this imaginary brother you're telling me about <laughs> yes. and you bring him to me to meet right so that's part of it right that's part of yeah. the test and, and actually so as i was reading up on this it was so fascinating it's like actually this would have been so they he accused them of spying out the nakedness of the land. And I thought that what that mm. meant, I always thought that was talking about the famine of like just seeing how bad it is here or like whatever. For some mm. reason, I thought that's what it was talking about. It's not, um, it's talking about how there would actually be. Raiders from what they what the Egyptians referred to as the Asiatic uh, tribes and peoples, there would be these raiders that would that would come and essentially look for where their fortifications were weakest, so that they could actually get in and steal uh, from the Egyptians and you know you know go through their stuff or whatever. And so. Um, it was not actually unusual unheard of or even like weird frankly for a test like this to be put of these people for them to be accused of what they mm-hmm. were being accused of especially from where they were coming from okay yeah. it was actually quite normal in a sense um mm-hmm. so um so yeah so, so he gave that justification yeah. for why he was putting them through the through the test but of course all all all, all the while you know he, there's another motive too right cuz cuz joseph seems especially when it comes to like him wanting to get benjamin there and then also him wanting to eventually get jacob there and his family joseph seems to be uh forcing the fulfillment of the prophecy of the dream mm. right so there's the dream where and he, all the brothers come and bow down but he's like wait a minute something's wrong here benjamin's not mm. here, and wait a minute yes, my dad's true. not here what's going on yeah. with that right and so the, the the actual and the prophecy never really comes to its ultimate fulfillment i mean it 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 gets close when benjamin comes and he bows too um but you know i don't I don't think there's a point in the story where jacob necessarily comes and and like bows to his son i don't think that necessarily happens although i could be wrong um but i think it misses that piece of it so it never fully gets fulfilled but it, it mostly does so
1: yeah um i i actually didn't didn't I've forgotten all about his dream and then wanting to see it come to pass. So there's a lot of stuff going on in in Joseph's mind. And I I would assume, too, seeing his brothers that first time must have hit him hard where he probably was in a panic, too. So, yes, he kind of had a kind of a calculated plan. But at the same time, he probably was a little bit kind of crazy in his mind as far as all, all these thoughts rushing through his mind about about the dream that he has had about what his brothers did to him about not seeing benjamin who knows what he might have thought about benjamin um whether they they did the same thing to him or he has no context of the family and what they've been going through since since his sold into slavery so a lot of stuff that the that the chapters don't address specifically, but are nonetheless still going on in Joseph's mm-hmm. mind and the brother's mind. And then uh, of course, all the history of it leading up to it. Yeah, well,
0: n- and not to mention the profound, like for the brothers, like the profound guilt and everything that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier that they felt the entire- It's, pl-
1: it's plainly seen.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, it's, it, it's real plain. And so through these mind games that Joseph plays, ultimately, God gets the revenge. Mm. And I f- I find it fascinating. Uh like the the text is really clear that Joseph is like basically loses his composure by the time mm. the whole thing yes. is up, right? Yep. And so I it almost feels to me like he feels like he has to do this out of some sense of duty or something. And like when it just got too bad, like he finally you know regained his composure and was able to tell them and and deal with it and all of this but part of it might have also been judah so let's maybe transition and talk about that a little bit so um
1: before you talk about judah i think joseph too there might have been a a set some sense of loneliness too because he eventually he can't contain it anymore and even if he has Mm. his stewards around or other people that maybe are in on it or at least somewhat that's his family that's there and even though it's almost like i guess you could compare them as his enemy in this situation or because they were at one point but it's almost like uh they they say uh you either want to or you don't want to meet your enemy because you end up getting to know them and you end up liking them and you don't, you know, dislike them less yeah. and so he probably you know seeing his brothers and everything it, he probably wanted to reach out to them and them to understand him and him to understand them and to come together and so i think there was a you know through these months leading up to um, this deception, these mind games, whatever you want to call it, he probably end up feeling a little bit of loneliness um, throughout that, just feeling by himself, apart from his family.
0: It's a really good point because the like the text doesn't really say that Joseph anticipated this happening, mm. right? Right. Like, like as far as Joseph <clears throat> knows, maybe he was never going to see his family again. Like, I'm yeah, not sure absolutely. that the that the dream. Who knows? Like, did he? Did he really? Like, did he? Because, see, obviously, the one, like, the dream that he was, the dreams he was interpreting for Pharaoh while he was in prison, um, those were directly related to the famine that mm-hmm. was coming, and and yes. he knew that. But like, would he have made the direct connection between the dreams that he had with his family before they sold him into slavery, and his yeah. redemption yeah. of the people? And leading them through the famine? I don't know. And so he may have never thought that he was going to see them again. And then, boom, here they show up and bowing before him. And he's
1: going, uh, uh." and (laughs) And Overwhelming, yes. And then
0: it's the, but wait a minute, where's, where's Benjamin, right? And then I do, you know, you do wonder how much of it, like you were just saying, is like him thinking on his feet. Okay. We need, I need, I need, something's wrong. I need to find out why yes. Benjamin's not here. And then, oh, I know. I'll accuse them of being these raiders
1: or spies. Right. Um, really but yeah, you're right. Um, let's go over to Judah, which um, we discussed a little bit beforehand. I just never really thought about the Judah kind of story arc before. And it's become, I think, one of my favorite parts of this story. So why don't you go ahead and um, you can go ahead and take it from your notes there. Okay,
0: yeah, so I'm going to frame this as a—because I always love whenever you have themes in Scripture that, like, um, there's patterns in Scripture, like chiastic patterns, and um, there's all kinds of other technical terminology for this. But um, uh, basically, you have, like, a mirror thing going on between Genesis 42 through uh, 45, and then uh, specifically— Genesis thirty seven. I mean, you, you could say Genesis thirty seven through thirty-nine, but specifically Genesis thirty-seven. Um and there's these three things that stand out. So one of them is is Judah's reversal. And so you you have this you have this weird thing where so in Genesis thirty-seven, Judah is the one who devises the whole plan to sell his brother into mm-hmm. slavery it's actually reuben who or excuse me to to um uh, he devises the whole plan to like put joseph into the pit and essentially leave him for dead and it's reuben who comes in and says we can't do this let's look there's a there's a caravan of slave traders or whatever like let's go sell him into the I was gonna sell him to, to these slaves or to these people.
1: So that wasn't you know, it the other way around. around? I thought it was Judah that suggested. I don't think so. You, you can Okay. No, you're gonna keep going then. Keep going. I might then. be
0: wrong. I might be wrong, but I don't I don't think I am because um so there's some people in the story, uh or some people who suggested that if he had kept um um Reuben, like there are reason why he didn't keep uh, Reuben instead of Simeon is because Reuben was the one who suggested that he um, not be killed, and so maybe they would have yeah. got suspicious if he had so kept
1: Reuben. Reuben's the one that suggested they don't kill him, throw him right. into a pit, and then right. it was Judah who suggested to sell him.
0: Um, what's it? Now I'm getting confused. I thought it was Judah who suggested to... Um, um, Judah
1: said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and corrupt his blood? Come on, okay. let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So okay, Reuben okay. said, don't kill him, put him in the pits. And Judah said, hey, let's just sell him into slavery.
0: Okay, I, I gotcha. I gotcha. We got okay. that straight now. Okay, and it was all of their idea,
1: right, to uh,
0: essentially um, to, to kill him, to take him out, right? Yeah. They all kind of got together and talked about yeah. that. Okay. All right, cool. So, so regardless, right? So it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's Judah who sells him into slavery. Right. Or who, who suggests yeah. that piece of it. And then he's ultimately go- going into Egypt. And so, but still, there was this. I mean, that wasn't exactly great. I mean, yeah, okay. They, they <laughs> didn't kill him, but they saved
1: like, his life, Steve. They saved his life.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, you know. As I mean,. In, as, <laughs> It's now like
1: uh that's like uh spending a hundred dollars because you spend because you save fifty percent on this did you, you save money. Up, Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly it's like I mean he was basically as good as dead being sold into Egyptian you know slavery mm-hmm. right so so or to the Ish- to, to the Ishmaelites um so anyway so um because they were like obviously the Ishmaelites were like you know enemies too of like mm-hmm. the Israelites in a sense as well so it's like yeah. We'll just sell him to the enemy. That's a really good idea. Um, (laughs) So anyway, so there's that piece of the story. But then at the end of the story, Mm -hmm. we see Judah with so much guilt that he is willing to sacrifice himself to save the younger son because he ultimately takes responsibility. So along the way there, at one point, Reuben says, hey... I'll take responsibility for Benjamin and if something goes wrong, you can kill my two sons. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) He's like, if something goes wrong, my sons will take the blame. No problem, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, um... And, and so there's a lot of commentators who are like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. weak, right? That was a weak, yeah. just, that was like a non-offer, right, from yes. from Reuben. Whereas, like, what finally, like, part of what finally convinces Jacob is that um, Judah says, look, like, you can kill me, right? Like, I will take full responsibility. And so at the end of the story, we have Judah um, saying, look, like, he, it's, it's the longest, like, mm-hmm. single person speech in the book of Genesis, and um, he pleads with Joseph to take him instead of yeah. Benjamin to let Benjamin and everybody else go. Keep me; I'll be your servant, your slave the rest of your life. Whatever you you know, whatever you want. But like he can't; my father can't lose his other son. And so in that yeah. in that in that sacrifice, that's sort of the moment where Joseph goes, "Oh, this is totally turned around." Like they've kinda they, broke him. they got it. Yeah, it kind of broke him. So
1: it's um pretty cool that it, and even though the brothers obviously c- kind of knew that they were either being set up or whatever reason um it, they could have all the Judah included could have easily said well it was in Benjamin's sack so obviously you need to like keep Benjamin yeah, sure. yeah, it would have been mm-hmm. such an easier way rather than actually going out and purposely you know, going to kill Joseph or then selling him to slavery, they could have just easily passively said, well, it was in his sack. What are we going to do about it? Um, that would have been easier, I think. But um, yeah, um, Judah steps up and kind of, I guess you can just say, kind of becomes a man. And yeah, and I think the years of guilt too on him, i thinking about Joseph and then probably had flashes of his father, you know, the brothers having to go back and tell his father that <laughs> tell their father that they lost Benjamin too. Um yeah. just a lot of stuff that finally hit him to make him make that decision.
0: Yeah, and it's just sort of an interesting motif there too, that Joseph or that Judah was uh, willing to be the sacrifice for um Yes. For the younger son. And of course Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It was mm-hmm. through Judah that the literally like the rest of salvation history Yep. Played out, and when the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus was on the so to see that sacrificial sort of element there, and yeah. for that to be the thing that you know leads uh, Joseph to take the next steps, and like again the 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 tribe of Israel as you as the story moves on uh, goes through Ephraim and Manasseh, which were Joseph's sons, and then uh, Benjamin as well. They were like instrumental in the actual people of Israel, right? And once the once the brothers became tribes, um, and so really fascinating stuff like like to see how this one this i almost view this as like a bottleneck event kind of like how the flood was like a bottleneck event where um you know noah and his family like the the population is reduced down you kind of have like this whole story arc reducing down to these couple key characters Mm. through which the rest of salvation history is ultimately going to end up playing out so i thought i thought judah's reversal in this was like a really cool theme
1: it's really cool. Judah's reversal, Joseph just the the whole fact. Like, wait, you were saying where, um, I mean, all of Israel comes from, c- comes from this family, and yeah. we get a special insight into just this particular story of of the family. A lot of times, we think of a Joseph, um, you know, we think of Joseph's story at the end of Genesis, and then it continues on. But it's just a really cool family history and family story as well, well to kick off kick off the whole thing.
0: Well look at what like how much of history almost didn't happen as a result. I mean, like literally
1: yeah, I, yeah, literally sure. the
0: whole rest of the family would have died in a famine and, mm-hmm. and Joseph would have just been the leader of you know, he would have been very well revered and respected and probably died um as vice pharaoh, you know, of Egypt uh, at pharaoh. the end of, at, yep. at the end of his days. And then God's, But God's sovereignty working behind the scenes, this was all part of, of his plan, and mm-hmm. everything happened exactly how it needed to happen, and everybody saw exactly what they needed to see and did exactly what they needed to do for salvation history to play out. So it's just another testament to, to the
1: sovereignty of God. Um, Absolutely. Really cool stuff.
0: So another thing, we won't spend much time on this, but another echo of Genesis 37 here uh, that sort of is a is a mirror is the fulfillment of dreams. We talked about this already, uh, but the dreams happen in Genesis 37, and then we see the fulfillment of these dreams actually um, uh, playing out where the brothers are indeed bowing to Joseph, mm. and, and this whole thing sort of comes to a head. And so you have this weird scenario where, like, everybody's finally getting to the point where they make amends, but it happens <laughs> through the scene of the very thing that started the whole thing, which yes. was they hated him because of these dreams and how he got special treatment from his father. And so they sold it, you know, they, they sold him into slavery. And it's like <laughs> that very thing that happened, that started the whole thing happened. And like at, at the resolution of the whole thing at the very and end. And how so,
1: grateful they probably were to bend that knee too. <laughs> yeah. Thank God, right? That they right. Act, yeah. How yes. crazy,
0: right? So I thought that was really a cool thing. Uh, and then the final echo of Genesis thirty-seven. This is the kind of thing that I just think is so cool that that people notice this stuff. So just as the um, just as Joseph was sold into slavery for I think it was twenty pieces of silver, um, they come back you know to Jacob, and so they've lost a son, but they've got silver, right? Well, in this in the story when. Joseph's uh, brothers first make the trip back from Egypt to Canaan to Jacob, they come back with silver because they didn't, the Egyptians didn't take the silver from the grain, right? They, Mm -hmm. they put the silver back in. So they come back with silver and, and a lost son. They're missing a son, Simeon, who Mm -hmm. has been, who has been jailed. And that Jacob even reacts with, and now I've lost another son basically is what he says. And so you sort of have this mirror theme going on. And these are little things in the text that, um, they're there for a reason, right? It's like this didn't just happen. Like it, it did happen this way, but like it didn't just happen this way. Like it, it's the, the stories are linking together and like wanting you to notice things mm-hmm. that are happening to show you how this one side of the coin is a resolution of another side of the coin. Like it's very, very intentional. So the silver in exchange for a lost son is another echo from Genesis 37 that I thought was really
1: cool. That is really cool. You saying that Jacob losing another son, I just picture him like it could be some type of weird comedy sketch where he just continues to lose sons. And He says, "Man, another one, another one." Right, kind of like Job, right? Like <laughs> yeah, the servants right? keep running in, like
0: ah, oh, like you've lost <laughs> yeah. everything. No, you've lost everything over here. Now you've lost everything <laughs> over everything here, over there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um... You
1: lose everything. You lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like a reverse Oprah. a reverse Oprah. Wow, I've never thought of Job as that's a reverse great.
0: a reverse Oprah. That's
1: what it is. Yes.
0: All right. That is crazy. <laughs> that was funny. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. All right. So, um, are we hitting any of your notes? Or are we only going through mine? I feel like we haven't talked about your notes at all. Are we? Are
1: uh, no. We, uh, no. I have been able to insert all of my uh, all of my thoughts and uh, oh, cool. notes that come through. Yeah. So we've been able to nail them all.
0: All right, cool. Cool. So there's a few more things I want to go through then yep, before sure. we wrap this up. Cause I'm, I mean, I plumbed the depths of this thing and I'm like, this mm-hmm. is just so cool. So, um, the guilt aspect is another thing I wanted to touch on. So we, we touched on it a little bit before, but I did want to make this point. So like, who's the real loser in the story? Is it Joseph or is it his brothers? Right? Because you think it's Joseph, you know, like, like, When you think of the story of Joseph, like, yeah, he obviously becomes vice pharaoh or whatever, but like you typically think about where he's being sold into slavery Mm -hmm. and like he goes through all this, he gets thrown in prison, you know, he goes through that test with Potiphar's wife and it's really bad. And so you think of Joseph as the one who's like suffering in the story. I've never thought of Joseph's brothers as necessarily suffering in the story. Like obviously they went through this Mm -hmm. testing, but really the guilt aspect of it is interesting because i think the text like we talked about earlier clearly shows that they were consumed with guilt it's like every everything that they did yes. to turn around when they turned around in the story they thought it was direct punishment from god not for mm-hmm. what they were being accused of but for what they did to joseph however many years ago they had done that
1: yeah it's it's a very even though it's it's funny. Obviously, the guilt is a theme in it, but it never directly points out that there's no um dialogue about the guilt that they felt in their heart. You know, it's like specifically as like a teaching moment. It's almost just there and you kind of have to observe it. But what a great story to show just how guilt can hang with you and hang with you and stick with you and stick with you until you really do get to the point where anything bad that happens to you. You just kind of think, well, I deserve that or it, it, it just lingers over your head. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think guilt is a. Um, very strong theme in this story. Um, a very yeah. a, a warning sign, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, yeah, the guilt. Like we talked about the the guilt, the compassion. I mean, we're getting a little repetitive, but like all of these things. Like that's the thing about this story, and a lot of biblical stories is the themes recur over and over. Like we talked a little bit earlier about like the 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 divination stuff, and like you know, he he talks about the chalice being used for divination and Joseph's like, didn't you know that I would find out about this because I can, (laughs) I have these magical powers. Right. Um, (laughs) you know and there's a lot of stuff going on there and then the seating order like we talked about and again mm-hmm. the mind games with like he like throughout the whole thing he was very accusatory of the brothers but like he was always sending them back with silver or like he yeah. was all, or, or like giving <laughs> yes. them a, or like giving, giving them, them so much
1: food yeah. yeah
0: right and like making sure that they had enough grain the whole time so it's like what are you doing to me joseph and it's like that's that's actually part, part of everything um I love this quote, kind of kind of going into the end of, of 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 things here and starting to wrap up. This is a great quote from uh, I think it's Gordon Gordon uh, Winham, and uh, he writes this. Uh, Next morning, just as they were congratulating themselves being able to leave Egypt safely with Simeon, Benjamin, and food supplies, their world fell in. Benjamin, of all people, was arrested for stealing the silver Hmm. cup, and they all had to return to Joseph's palace. It was the collapse—I love this line—it was the collapse of a world built on hatred, lies, and deception, and it revealed their true characters. In particular, the hard-hearted Judah, who had proposed the sale of Joseph into slavery and demanded that his daughter-in-law be (laughs) burnt— In 30, uh, Genesis 37, 27, showed himself a changed man. In the longest speech in Genesis, he pleaded eloquently for Benjamin's release, touchingly describing the effects that Benjamin's non-return would have on their aged father, and finally offering to take his brother's place himself. Now at last, it was clear that the age-old animosity between the sons of Leah, e.g. Judah, and the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, was over. Even though Jacob might regard only Rachel and her sons as his real family, his other sons would have preferred Egyptian slavery to breaking their father's Mm -hmm. heart. 44, 33 through 34. Man, I just thought that was so well put of how this this concludes like a saga, like a world built on hatred, lies, and deception. Even from the earliest times of Jacob and his brother Esau, like their whole world was nothing but... Deception in their family, like we were saying, and this yeah. whole thing comes to a head in this story.
1: And then the one thing that just was reminded of there is how Jacob probably saw his sons differently, you know, depending on, you know, which, mo- which mother they came from. And, oh, totally. uh, and obviously just, I mean, it's, you know, we plainly see it in how he treated Joseph just treated certain sons differently than the others. And so you just have, mm-hmm. you have a really dysfunctional family, like to the core um and but you're right this just kind of has a beautiful ending in the saga here that they all just come together it's it's really quite wonderful
0: well yeah and there's and and there's the question of like because all throughout the story also he clearly shows favoritism towards benjamin as well Mm. and and in the story you kind of get that you kind of get that um like the brothers are over it like they like you know what i mean like they They would rather have Egyptian slavery than see their father's heart break again, even though, you know, how, even though he, they knew how much more they loved or he loved Joseph and Benjamin because uh, they were Rachel's, Mm. you know, it's like, they finally just came to terms with that and, and did the selfless thing and decided that their father's happiness in this regard was, was meant more than their happiness. And, um, it was worth it to bring down the whole world of, of lies and and deception. Uh, I'll read one more thing and then we can kind of wrap up. Um. This is from a book uh, called Joseph Understanding God's Purpose, and it's written by multiple authors, so I couldn't give an exact uh, author here, Mm -hmm. but it says, quote, ultimately, the choice, and this is, let me just, before I read this, this is like like the practical, right? This is the takeaway, right? Ultimately, the choice between vengeance and mercy is a choice between serving ourselves and serving God. Joseph knew that in taking revenge, he would be acting in his own self-interest by showing mercy. Joseph submitted his will to God's interests and the providential unfolding of his plan, living according to God's ultimate purpose, end quote. And so I guess what I would just say to sort of punctuate that is like I definitely think there was an element of Joseph working in self-interest in, in the story. But he knew that the ultimate vengeance would not be his. To, you know, to, to give, I mean the mind games and everything, it's not like he was inspired of God to play mind games on his brothers. I don't think that, I think it was all very carefully crafted. Um, clearly Joseph was very smart, right? Joseph is given credit in the story for being intelligent and, and obviously you don't work your way up to vice Pharaoh, um, without being intelligent, right? So he was very smart. He knew he was intentionally designed. He knew that he was throwing his brothers for a whirlwind of emotions and craziness. But ultimately at the end of the day that he knew that it, it was either him get vengeance on this and do his own thing and serve himself or serve God and let God get ultimate vengeance. And that's ultimately the choice he made. And it's the choice we should make too.
1: Good final thoughts, Steve. they very applicable. Um, for sure. I also want to bring to light as well. Just, we, we, talked about the scene a little bit but the humor involved uh, when the brothers they're finally headed home on their last time and they and and they're going through the sacks and they don't find the chalice and they finally get to the last one and the the reaction is just to just rip their clothes apart because of they're just they're so close to making it and that they yep. just that they get for the last time they have to go back again the I just whole think that's thing a, a is a funny done. scene. It is. Yeah. It is. It's.
0: It's it's, <laughs> it's. it's. It's equal parts humorous and incredibly mm-hmm. sad. I mean, you can see the whole yeah, thing absolutely falling down, and just being like, you know, they're at that point, they're like, this is it. Like this is over. Oh, this yeah. is. This is better. This is. It's like their worst nightmare <laughs> happening. There's so. There's certainly like a comedic element to it this is in storytelling right this is the um the dark what do we call it the darkest night or something like that like this is this is the the point of no return like when Mm. all hope is lost at the end like near the end of the story um before joseph you know reveals his hand and then everything ends up turning out well but at at that point they're thinking we're done like this is
1: bad we're done for it so all right see well Another episode in the books. This was a great story to cover. It, it's, it, oh, yeah. I, I think we kind of aimed to set out initially on some of these episodes to focus on a couple verses here and there, but we kind of took this whole, st- whole story and I'm actually surprised we were able to contain it within an hour or about an hour, um, yeah. but a lot of good stuff with this story. I'm glad we decided to, it just shed some light on some things that I just took for granted reading, through it over and over and over and never really appreciating the nuances of it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll never read the story the same way again. And Absolutely. That's what I love about this. I really, like, just, I really hope that people who listen to this podcast come away with the same thought like, oh, man, I'll just never read that story again. You know? 100%. Um, and that's that's why I think sometimes we we need to cover things that are like not as obviously weird. Like it, this mm-hmm. isn't an obviously weird story because we're so used to it, but like it is yep. weird and it is strange and it's also part of what makes the Bible so stinking awesome. So, um, hey, we need to find a comment of the week. Did did you have one? I thought you had found one earlier that might have been a good. <sighs> there's
1: a there's a few. Let me see. There's a few doozies out there. I really like this one. I mean, are we looking for a humor or a legit Anything.
0: one? <laughs> a- a- just a comment of the week. I like, nice, the one
1: legit. That, I like the one, the political pit bull. What a great name, too. Um, he commented on the did God create aliens? He said, we are created in his image, so no aliens. Also, God created no other places for the supposed aliens to live. Space is fake, and so are planets. Those little dots are angels. Read the book of Jude. The planets will be punished for changing their course. Earth is flat. So, so that's, there's that's, that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, um, Pitbull, man,
0: P- Pitbull man knows his stuff, Pitbull, really. He does. I, mean, he, me... I think we could just stop the podcast right now, and
1: that would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, let me see if there's any other that come to mind. Um, oh, yeah, here's this guy. <laughs> it would almost be... I hate to make fun of this guy, but it would almost be worth just reading all three comments. <laughs> he said... Uh, if you need proof, I can deep dive as far as your intellect and devotion can stand, or I can keep it on the shallow end and hit you with verse after verse, demonstrating the merest of consistency. And then he goes on and on, and then later he says, "Okay, after listening to you guys for a few, I won't need to reduce the number by two, and likely I can engage you on the higher levels without having to define everything as I go." Cool. Yeah.
0: Hey, you know what? I'll take that as a compliment. I thank. You. I do or, too. Yeah. Or, yes. This is great. Yeah. You yeah.
1: know. We had, we actually had a cocky guy admit that. He he could probably converse with us on his intellectual level. This is great. Yeah, 100%. So, yep. <laughs> I'm so
0: thrilled. I'm all so of those thrilled are, that people don't think we're total dingbats.
1: So. Right. Right. All of those are well, great, though. Well, there are I some who like, think
0: we're total dingbats, and I think we'll, we'll share some of those comments at some point.
1: I also do like this guy who commented on why it was about written so long ago, and he said, they're defining the word context. That's a great one, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one person said, I can dig it, subscribe. Yeah, yeah. So some really good ones there. So there's a few good ones. Absolutely. No,
0: I love love that. Love the engagement. Keep commenting. Who knows? Your comment might just make it on a comment of the week. Comment of the week. Yeah. Boom. All right. Well, that's about all for this one. Thank you all so much for hanging out with us. If you find this podcast interesting. Please share it with your friends. Tell everyone you know. We'd love to have more listeners and uh, and viewers. And uh, we think that uh, the Lord's truly going to use this. We're excited about the response so far.
1: Awesome. Yep, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. See you next time.